0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And my name is Christian Sager. So, hey, if this is an
1: episode that you are listening to maybe with your kids or maybe you're concerned about the uh, company that you're listening to it in, We should just let you know up front, this is going to be a little bit of a more graphic episode of Stuff to Blow Your Mind. uh, Based on the title, you probably know that already. But we just wanted to give you a heads up uh, because we know that a lot of families write into us and say, hey, I really like listening to the show. I listen to it on the way to school in the morning with my daughter.
0: Um, This might not be the episode to do that. Yeah, you might give this one a skip in that case. Now, that being said, we're we are going to tackle the topic of sex bots in this episode and we are as usual, we're gonna do our best to, to demystify the topic a bit. We're gonna explore, yes, we're gonna talk about some of the in many cases trashier um examples of this that show up in our science fiction. Yeah. We're gonna talk about some definite opposition to the idea of sex bots, but we're also gonna explore some territory that I was really fascinated with that uh, where where we see a a more positive vision of what a sex bot or sexual interaction between humans and machines might consist of. Uh, visions of this that are beneficial, even therapeutic. Yeah, exactly. I think
1: that's the real hook here. And the thing that I didn't know a lot about going into the research, which is that there are a lot of uh of these robots being built and there's a lot of research going into their construction that's healing basically for human beings in a mm-hmm. variety of ways. And we'll get into that.
0: Now, before we get into the the science, we should just uh, take a few moments to talk about some of the examples that we've seen. And there are many different examples of sex bots in science fiction. I mean, in, in, whenever we start thinking about artificial humans, and certainly we've dreamed about artificial humans since ancient times. They factor into our, many of our myth cycles. Yeah we we inherently deal with our anxiety about technology and our anxiety about human nature in dreaming up these various examples so uh, a few that come to mind uh, there's a wonderful novel titled the wind-up girl uh and this was by paolo Bacagalupi. and uh, this is uh, th- this one concerned uh you know sort of your sort of your typical sex bot scenario where you have a pleasure bot of some kind a feminine robot that is made for male pleasure that escapes, goes rogue, you know, has a, has a struggle for independence. It's a really good book. Uh, but it does explore kind of a classic trope here. That is a very common
1: trope in sci-fi now. Mm-hmm. Now that I think about it, and especially looking at a lot of our examples here with things that are really kind of popular right now, like Humans or Westworld, right? Mm-hmm. Like these yeah. are shows that are all exploring that same idea.
0: Yeah, both great shows, and and you can in, it's obvious why this is a such a powerful trope because you get to explore not only our concerns about. Technology and the future of technology, but also about uh about what it means to be to be female in today's world and and uh and, and various feminine issues that you can explore through this uh this fantastic vision yeah the other
1: recent one that really gripped a lot of people's attention I thought it was maybe the best movie that came out that year was ex machina yes uh, yeah. alex garland's ex machina wow uh definitely uh talked about the issues surrounding sex bots but was more about. I guess the like emotional availability of AI mm-hmm. uh, and this is something that like we've actually off air been kind of talking about like how it relates to this topic is um for instance that Spike Jones movie her oh yeah uh, which I, I haven't seen but I don't think actually features a robot in it but uh it it's sort of the same idea. It's like, can an artificial intelligence convince you that it's real enough that you have you're an emotionally engaging relationship with it
0: yeah, this is of course, this is a whole topic unto itself, like to what degree we imbue a non living thing. With life, even yeah. if it's not a robot, even if it is a a doll or a, a toy, a painting. I mean, we have this fabulous ability to anthropomorphize just about anything. Yeah, uh, to have it, you, you put a smiley face on something, and it'll create. It we'll instantly have this smidgen, at least a smidgen, of investment in that thing as a person. Well, and that goes way back. You've got notes here
1: to the Greek myth of Hephaestus, right? Or as I I usually call him Vulcan, because yeah,
0: that's Vulcan's what the the Roman version. Of that. Yeah, yeah. Vulcan's the Roman version, and uh, yeah. And if you've ever rolled through uh, Birmingham, Alabama, uh, they have a big statue of Vulcan. Wait, is that right? I That's didn't true. Know yeah. That. yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Because uh, it was like a steel working town. Oh, okay, okay, cool. So, uh, so, so Vulcan plays a role in uh, in my personal history as well. But yeah, this in myth, uh, he created a series of life size golden maids among various other marvels. So he was kind of a mad scientist of uh, Greek and Roman myth. But you can see there, like going that far back, that
1: we human beings were thinking about in our culture and our storytelling, like how. We were going to try to replicate the human experience in machines or in, I I believe the the terminology that was used referring to uh, Vulcan
0: and Hephaestus was a biotechny. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And there's a wonderful uh, Ian Magazine article yeah. on that. And I'll try to include a link to that and some of the other articles that we're mentioning here in the landing page for this episode at StuffToBlowYourMind.com.
1: Also, obviously, many people out there are probably thinking of Daryl Hannah's character Pris from Blade Runner, Oh yeah, uh, which is referred to as a basic pleasure model. Although, so it's funny, I was reading an io9 article yesterday that's all about what, uh, the, what we're talking about right now, the fictionalized versions of sex bots. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of argumentation in the commentary about whether <laughs> They're pris counted because replicants
0: are technically organic individuals. I think she counts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, there's that whole, once you get into the whole android replicant thing, it gets a little, uh, yeah. a little hazy. Uh, now, if anybody out there is a fan of Rick and Morty, there was an episode uh, titled Raising Gazorpazorp that included a sex bot that, uh, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, that, uh, that Morty ends up, uh, acquiring and, uh, has a brief addiction to. Okay. So we might come back to, to that vision of a sex bot here in the future. But th- that, that kind of leads us into some of the more, um, Exploitive visions, I guess you can say. Yeah. Sort of heavy metal, uh, visions of the sex bot. Um, one- yeah, what was the name of the artist that you, uh, you sent me yesterday?
1: The, there's this guy, so Heavy Metal Magazine is what we were referring to, which is, if, if you're unfamiliar with it, it is an American magazine that specializes in comics that are sort of like, r rated fantasy sci-fi comics uh and the cover art is usually pretty salacious uh, and Robert found this one artist who's done quite a number of covers for them that specializes in
0: sexualized female robots. Oh yeah, this would uh, be of course be a uh, Japanese artist uh, Hajime Soriyama. Okay, yeah. Uh, and this is this was one of the I remember when I first got online really the First year of co- college, last year of high school, I ended up introducing myself to a number of, of fantasy artists, uh, that, that I was instantly taken with. And, uh, and I remember encountering this guy's work and it's, it's eye-catching, but it's yeah. all of, like sexy robot pinup dolls. Like yeah. that's his, his thing. And that's certainly a vision of the sex bot, the fembot, the, you know, whatever you want to call them, whatever they're called in your particular, uh, sci-fi property that we see time and time again. Um, uh, like a property that I think back to is 1987's Cherry 2000, starring, uh, Melanie Griffith. I have never
1: seen that. And I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, you know, I've always kind of heard about it on the, the fringe of things, but yeah, it really hit my radar doing the research for this episode.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely one that falls more into the, you know, exactly what you'd expect from a, a 1980s film. So that su- has a sex spot in it.
1: I suppose, like, she can't complain too much about her daughter doing these Fifty Shades of Grey movies then, if like, she, oh. her daughter can just be like, well, you were in Cherry 2000. <laughs> yes, but she was not Cherry. 2000. Oh, she was yeah, she was just a she was like a human bounty hunter oh okay, yeah. I didn't know that all right, um, you know what is
0: not on the list that it just like popped in my head, I can't believe we forgot about this. The Stepford Wives. Yeah, the Stepford Wives is a big one. That's, yeah. And it ties in directly with some of the, the fears and anxieties uh, that we're going to discuss here, because it's men making robot women to be their perfect wives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's Jude Law as Gigolo Joe in the
1: movie AI, uh, one of the rare examples of a male sex bot in popular culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Buffy. The Vampire Slayer, they made several sex bots, including one of Buffy for Spike, which really – there's some really dicey sexual relationship stuff that goes on in that show towards the end of the later seasons, and that's one of them. Um, And then the comics – uh, there's this comic called Autumn Lands that's coming out right now that I really enjoy. It's by Kurt Busiek and Benjamin Dewey. And, uh, in the second arc, the characters encounter these statue-esque naked robot women who once served this, like, long-forgotten civilization as sex slaves. And, uh, when one of the characters tries to force himself upon them, they rebel. And it's it's really it's a really interesting take on this whole thing uh, that we're going to be talking about today. But um, I highly recommend
0: it if you're into comics, check that out. So obviously, some of these visions of the sex bot are, are more fantastic than others, and some are more serious than others in their commentary. But ultimately, it's all sort of circling around our, our legitimate concerns about ourselves and technology. So what what are we afraid of? What what indeed are we very right to be concerned about? Uh, you know, we see this continuing trope of the human abuse of robots mirroring our own abuse of each other. If we create robots in our image, then are we destined to exploit them, to abuse them and even further objectify and dehumanize each other based on this model? Yeah and i also can't help but feel that uh, female sex bots in fiction uh, especially tend to serve as you know as commentaries on on product femininity uh the the all too you know frequent portrayal of human females as mere sex objects devoid of nuanced personality or identity and we didn't plan it out this way but actually so
1: coming out this week along with this episode we're doing an episode on the science of ovulation and how that plays into marketing femininity Mm -hmm. uh and and so it's it's interesting to do these two episodes side by side and sort of see the parallels yeah there's always this weird synchronicity between the episodes it seems so why don't we get into the current state of you know what some of you out there are probably like well wait what like there's all these pop culture versions that you just mentioned, but where are these sex bots you speak of now? Right. Right. Um, I would just first like to very quickly go over, uh, a, a short history of sex toys in terms of, you know, where we're at with that. These are tens of thousands of years old. You know, most people don't know that they probably think it's a relatively recent invention. The oldest dildo is more than 20,000 years old and vibrators began as medical devices that midwives and physicians used to treat illnesses such as hysteria through what they referred to as pelvic massage or manual stimulation. The first one of these was introduced in 1734. That that goes far back. Uh, And it wasn't until the late 1800s when powered vibrators were available to doctors. And then by 1920, they were available directly to consumers. And then you know, nowadays people think about computer-driven sex toys. That goes back to the mid-1970s.
0: Yes, I mean, certainly sexuality is always a huge aspect of human behavior, even if we want to push it to the background. Yeah. So it it has a tendency to be at the forefront of any technological advancement or any kind of new enterprise. I think it's just, yeah, worth like
1: reminding ourselves like, Hey, this isn't new. This mm-hmm. has been around for a long time. What we're discussing here is really just like the, the latest iteration of this. And
0: what, what does that say about us? Yeah. And it's not a situation where suddenly sexually minded individuals are at the forefront uh, you know, yeah. pushing and meddling with the technology. They've always been there. Uh So, just to give a brief idea of the future so that we can we can backtrack and discuss the present. There was an interesting uh, Pew Research Center uh, a paper that came out in 2014 titled uh, Digital Life in 2025, AI Robotics in the Future of Jobs. Now, for the most part, this article did not go into the use of of sexual robots Uh, but there is one uh, part where uh, this guy by the name of Stowe boyd who's lead researcher for giga om research uh, a futurist he predicted quote pizzas will not be delivered by teenagers hoping for a tip Food will be raised by robotic vehicles, even in small plot urban farms that will become the norm since so many people will have lost their jobs to bots. Your x-rays will be reviewed by a battery of Watson-grade AIs, and humans will only be pulled in when the machines disagree. Robotic sex partners will be commonplace, although the source of scorn and division, the way that critics today bemoan selfies as an indicator of all that's wrong with the world. So I think that's an interesting take on
1: it. I definitely agree with him that the, uh, on the scorn and division and that mm-hmm. is going to be a you know really the big divide that we're going to speak about today in terms of what's going on with this technology. Uh I don't I don't see it as being
0: analogous to selfies though. I think no. it's a little more extreme than that. Yeah, well, I think time and time again we have to come back to examples of of what the, what the current technology is. So today we have a number of different, um sexual devices, sex toys, if you will, that are on the market. And many of them are very high selling. That being said, sex toys continue and perhaps will always be, uh, the, the punchline of many a joke. Yeah, right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were talking about this earlier that it's like, uh, you
1: know, this is the stuff of like late night talk show hosts, like making a throwaway joke here or
0: there. It's something everybody can kind of relate to and laugh at and laugh at themselves about, right? And then at the same time, many of the people who are laughing and some that are not laughing are still going to perhaps go online and order one of these devices for their personal use. Yeah. So we're a far cry, though, from having a robotic humanoid body that that moves like we do. Uh, but roboticists continue to make strides in this area. So everyone's seen videos of the various Boston Dynamics robots, you know. And they, they're often kind of fearsome. They look like mechanical jumping horses yeah, and whatnot.
1: I whatnot. So we should probably clarify what this is. Maybe not everybody out there is familiar with this. So this is, what, the last year and a half, Boston Dynamics is, like, continually releasing these kind of, like, press release videos yeah. of these robots that they're working on that basically look like robot pack
0: mules. Yeah, and that's kind of the cell, right? That they're robotic yeah. pack mules that can, that would have a military application that can go over diverse terrain. Yeah. So we can look to those, and obviously these are not sexy. These are not, right. these are not uh, devices where you say, hey, that's the future of, of sexual robotics right there. But they do demonstrate the strides that we're making in creating robots that can move in reality that can that can yeah. that can actually interact with the world physically. And, uh, and you know there are other areas where the technology continues to impress so we, we you know robot assisted surgery uh vr haptic feedback and there is this uh this field of uh, that's sometimes referred to as teledildonics, uh where they're utilizing all this technology for more advanced uh sexual um devices and sex toys yeah this where, is basically across long distances right right uh like one example of this is uh uh, Frixon, I believe is the name, how you pronounce the, the product. And they use haptic sensors and robotic accessories to enable remote control sex. Okay, so let's take a quick break. And when we get back, now that we've covered
1: sort of, you know, up to the current state of affairs with sex bots, we're going to talk about the off-the-shelf, on-the-market robot, Roxy. <laughs>
0: All right we're back, so yeah, let's talk about Roxy a little bit. Roxy is I think a it's an important example to hit, but it's also such a uh problematic example to hit yeah. because it it represents uh, some of the the more notorious aspects of Sexual robot. So we learned about Roxy from Eon Magazine, which, if if
1: you're a listen long time listener, you know that we read quite a bit of it. Uh, it's a robot companion. Uh, it doesn't quite produce the uncanny valley effect, um, you know, unlike um, those actroids that you sometimes see uh, mm-hmm. that are created in like Japanese commercials or, or or something like that. But they come, Roxy comes in a variety of models, and some of them actually have personalities. So there's a little bit of programming that goes into this uh it includes the regular Roxy there is also Mature Martha Young Yoko and Frigid Farah and that's where i got a little uh, i i got a little creeped out personally cuz the idea of Frigid Farah is uh, it's like she plays hard to get she's you know not necessarily uh interested in having sex with you and that's a little that's where there's
0: some weird lines i think yeah th- this this is a, you know, an obvious example of something we'll come back to, the idea that you have men creating female robots for a male audience. And they've got very specific fetishes. Yeah, very stereotypical portrayals yeah. and, uh, and sort of male approved models of what a female is. Very simplistic models. Yeah. Oh, and I should
1: clarify too, young Yoko
0: is, is not,
1: uh, although we are going to talk about pedophile sex bots, Young Yoko is supposed to be over the age of 18, personality-wise. Okay. Uh, but basically, this Roxy robot sounds kind of like Siri in the way that it talks back to you. Their purpose is to provide more than sex. The idea is that they're your true companion and you can talk to them before and after sex. Uh, and, and given that you've got all the personalities chosen here, you know, what do, What does this tell us about the future proliferation of these sex bots? Uh, and here's where it gets real weird. Eon says that the person who created Roxy, it was originally created as the recreation of a friend that was lost in 911
0: and then that developed into this consumer oriented sex bot. Well, and then I've also read that that the uh, that the technology behind Roxy started out as a as an inquiry into uh, creation of a robot home care nurse. OK, so now had, I'm
1: wondering if there's just like these different urban myths about Roxy.
0: Well, no, I I, uh, I wrote a little bit years ago uh, where I ended up touching on Roxy and uh, and I believe the, the home care nurse thing is uh, is legit. OK. But I, I guess it comes down to like the evolution of an idea, the evolution of, of figuring out how to commercially apply your technology. Yeah. So what starts as an as, a, as an intention to create a robotic nurse uh, may end up going through some changes until suddenly you're producing a sex doll.
1: Well, like you said, with all technological developments, they kind of the pioneering
0: end of it is sexual in nature. I mean, look yeah. at the Internet. Yeah, exactly. Now. We mentioned sex dolls. Of course, sex dolls have been around for some time, and uh, it's been proven that individuals can at least find some sort of detached uh, pleasure, even an imaginative bond with even just a non-robotic semblance of a human. Uh, I, I always think back to a wonderful BBC documentary titled Guys and Dolls that came out God, it must have been – this. I think it may be 10 years old now. Okay. Uh, you can find – I think you can find most of it on YouTube and and um, other such websites. But they profiled a handful of real doll owners. These are, of course, anatomically correct, life-size uh, human replicants. So are they built for the purpose of sex? Or yes. Is okay, gotcha. Yeah, they're built with that purpose exclusively in mind. But as this documentary explored – the the individuals and their bond with these things ranged immensely. So there was there's like a there's one guy in it that's hanging them up on hooks and another that just seems to obsessively collect them and has them stacked like kindling in his crawl space. And those are some examples that, you know, maybe hit the the creep level uh, of for a lot of people. Yeah. But then there's this one guy who seems to have a, a a largely, if not exclusively, emotional relationship with his doll. And he's going through like separation anxiety over having, he's having to move and he's having to ship it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And so it's, it, it, it does a, it does a good job of just showing you, all right, yeah, you can have something like a real doll, but then the varying levels of engagement with it, the, the, the way people anthropomorphize it is going to vary from person to person. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I guess like if you want to step back at it and look at it like a very simple sense here and, and pardon me if this is a little vulgar, mm-hmm. but, Uh, It sounds like we're somewhere between that movie Her I referred to earlier where, like, nobody is needed. It's just an emotional relationship with an artificial consciousness and, like, a fleshlight,
0: right? Yeah. Um, A fleshlight, just to explain because this will come up again, is a a, a popular sex toy with a male market. Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: So – and that's kind of where we're going to find criticism on both sides about this is, like, arguments about why we shouldn't make sex bots and arguments about why we should, because there's this broad spectrum, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Um, speaking of which, have you seen the movie dead girl before? I have not. I'm familiar with it. I think it was one that would always show up on Netflix for me. Yeah.
1: I saw it on Netflix. It's not about sex bots, but it's, um, it's related to this. I I don't want to give too much away, but essentially these guys find a, a woman's dead body, but the body doesn't rot at all. Like she's inanimate, but she's not dead. Hmm. Uh, so it's a zombie film. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it goes where you would expect it to go based okay. on
0: what we're talking about. All right. Anyways, it's, it seemed related to this. All right. Well, on that note, let's get into the case against sex bots. I feel like this is a good place to start because it's going to tie in more directly with some of those sci-fi ideas that we explored already. So you have, uh, one individual in, in particular that's, that's worth mentioning here, and that's, uh, Dr. Kathleen Richardson. She's a robot ethicist at, uh, De Montfort University in Leicester, and she heads the Campaign Against Sex Robots, or CASR. And, uh, she makes a, a number of arguments. She kind of basically has a manifesto. Yeah, and
1: so, look, we should clarify,
0: like, like, this I, appeared to me
1: to start off as a long academic paper, mm-hmm. which is, you know, well-written. Uh, but now it's like it's this whole web presence uh, with sort of uh, action items to it. Um, and she calls basically for an organized approach against the development of sex robots as a necessary response for humanity. And she says the reason why is that sex robots in her mind reflect human principles of dignity, mutuality, and freedom. And that by creating these bots, it's a representation of violence, discrimination, and coercion. So we are manifesting kind of like the worst parts of ourselves in making
0: these sex bots. And she also argues that the development of sex bots uh, further sexually objectifies women and children. She says the vision for sex bots is
1: underscored by reference to the prostitute John exchange, which relies on recognizing only the needs and wants of the buyers of sex, while the sellers of sex are not attributed subjectively and they're reduced to, you know, a thing, an object
0: like a robot. She argues that the development of sex robots and the ideas to support their production show the immense horrors still present in the world of prostitution, which is built on the perceived inferiority of women and children and therefore justifies their use as sex objects, also that the development of sex robots will further reduce human empathy, and that can only be developed by an experience of a mutual relationship and that's a that one ties in nicely to you and Joe's recent episodes on animal empathy and the human yeah absolutely yeah. She goes on to challenge the view that uh, the development of adult and child sex robots will have a positive benefit to society, but instead further reinforce power relations of inequality and violence. We'll get into what she's arguing about in a little bit.
1: Yeah. And then finally, she says, you know, uh, they take issue with arguments that propose that sex robots could help reduce sexual exploitation and violence toward prostituted persons. Uh, This is pointing to all the evidence that shows how technology and the Sex trade coexist and reinforce each other, creating more demand subsequently for
0: human bodies. And
1: we're going to talk about that a little bit too, especially in the case of
0: pedophilia. Now, Dr. Kate Devlin, who's a researcher at Goldsmith uh, University of London, uh, their Department of Computing, uh, she took some issue with this in a September 2016 interview with The Guardian. So she countered uh, that that uh, this argument as a whole dismisses the fact that women, not men, are quote, more likely to purchase artificial non-human substitutes such as vibrators. Yeah, uh, she also says that the campaign against sex robots, this is to distinguish, this is
1: Kate Devlin talking against Kathleen Richardson. Yes, uh, She says that it rests on a parallel parallel that's drawn between sex robots and female sex workers. And Devlin sees sex robots as being potentially useful, uh, especially if they're using machine learning and biofeedback in the sense that they can quote, provide adaptive personal fulfilling sexual experiences. And in that way they could be used for therapeutic reasons. Uh, she also says sex, look, sex is part of humanity's mental processes mm-hmm. and it's, Fundamental to our human condition. So it's worth considering how our bodily interactions like this make changes to our brain and how that has bearing on our cognitive processes. So there's a lot here that she's arguing that says like, yeah, like I understand your argument, Kathleen Richardson, about, uh, you know, a campaign against sex robots, but there's some potential benefits here too that you seem to be ignoring.
0: Yeah, yeah, she I think she makes a, a strong counter argument here, you know, saying, "Hey, would a woman be di- disinterested in buying a human replica or just a, a robotic sexual stimulation sy- uh, system?" Because the, uh, the 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 market information would tend to say, "No, that women already buy uh sexual technology, so why not the next iteration of sexual technology?" Yeah, absolutely. Now, indeed there is this problem that technology in general is often made by men for men. Uh and we can see examples of this well beyond the scope of, of sexual devices. Totally, yeah. Uh, the artificial heart, for example, uh, it's, uh, it's sizing has long best fit the dimensions of an adult human male's chest. It, uh, it wasn't until later that companies like uh, Syncardia eventually rolled out a size more suitable for, uh, for adult females and children. Another thing
1: worth noting here, too, is that newer forms of sex toys are created specifically for sharing between couples. So it's not necessarily male-oriented, but here's the thing. They're either marketed to couples or to men, not directly to women, even though, as Devlin says, women are the ones primarily using sex toys. Mm -hmm. So sex technology is definitely being created from a dominant heterosexual male perspective here. And even if sex bots aren't conscious, they're externally made To look like people, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, specifically women who are owned by heterosexual men. So maybe if we thought broader about our sex bots, we could alleviate these long running human problems. The same way I like to think of it, looking back to the vibrator and how it basically changed completely like the way that uh, medicine was approaching things like hysteria. Yeah.
0: I mean, it it comes down to the, the fact that you can, you can go out to buy a sex, um, toy. And you can get something, yes, that definitely looks like a replica of a human body part, but you can also get things that can easily be mistaken for other household gadgets. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, for instance, I, um, I travel with an Aeropress, which is a coffee-making device. Okay. But it is a cylindrical uh, uh, gadget like a, a like a, a french press that like is com- uh, compartmentalized yeah it's basically like a, a, a plastic cylinder with a plunger that goes in it and Got you it. Uh, press the coffee out the other side and i travel with it because it's a great way to ensure good coffee on the go sure but it inevitably looks like some like it could be some sort of sexual yeah device. when it's getting scanned through tsa
1: yeah yeah uh, our dogs uh have these toy is called Go Nuts. The company <laughs> is called Go Nuts. Okay. Uh, and they make these, like, really sturdy... Rubbery, uh, dog chew toys because I've got two pit bull mixes. So mm-hmm. they just like destroy anything I give them. And one of them is like a long shaft like mm-hmm. looking thing. And the other one looks like a donut. Okay. Uh, and the day that they got sent to my wife's office, you know, she, she works for a big company security screens all the mail that goes through and she was just laughing. She was like, <laughs> can you imagine what the security people downstairs think as this stuff is going through their x-ray machine?
0: The good news here though is that this all means pl- Plausible deniability for any actual sex device right. that, uh, that has some degree of um, of, uh, of design ambiguity about it. Now, in 2010, uh, there was a Dutch paper that came out, and this was written for the United Nations, and it was titled Gender Dimensions of Product Design, and that it highlighted a, quote, male gender bias in many tech products, and uh, as well as just a disconnect from the view of gender as a spectrum, uh, and uh, that observationally, um, all of this is influenced by biology, culture, and situation. So uh, even, uh, I guess the idea here is that even if you get beyond the fact that it's It's largely men designing technology for men uh, or men designing technology for women. There's also not necessarily that nuanced an idea of what what constitutes gender in the in in human reality. Yeah. And, uh, you know, male thinking has dominated the development of TVs and GPS devices. So can we really expect anything better from physical and conceptual design for sexual robotic systems? And then we've got David Levy
1: here, uh, and he I'm going to let you introduce this. But, man, he wrote this really fascinating piece. It seems like he's written multiple pieces specifically about uh
0: ethics and robots. Yeah, this guy, this would be a good place if you want to do a deeper dive into uh, some of these topics. But he's a British author, chess master and CEO of Intelligent Toys Limited. Uh, and he wrote about uh, much of uh, these issues in The Ethics of Robot Prostitutes from his uh that's uh, featured in the book, Robot Ethics, uh, published in 2011. And he argued that sex bots only really become a problem when they're bestowed with artificial consciousness, thus elevating them from mere artifact to something more, something at least mimicking personhood. Yeah. So the gist here of Levy's argument is
1: that as long as sex bots are artifacts without any artificial consciousness, There's no ethical implications in having sex with them or using them for prostitution. Now, if we go back, I would imagine Dr. Kathleen Richardson would take umbrage with that. But he says, you know, as long as there's no uh, artificial consciousness, we're okay. But if they do have a consciousness, then that's when we get into legal and ethical implications. And not just for ourselves, but then we've got to think about the robots. Do they get rights?
0: Do they have legal and ethical rights that are implied by their consciousness. Yeah, this is an in, this is a whole can of worms here because yep. on one hand it gets into the whole question of what is consciousness? We can't even define what it is for humans, how do we define it in robots? And then it makes you ask questions about any and everything where there's a potential like faking of consciousness. Yeah. Like when do I start have when do I have to start becoming concerned about NPC characters in video games? Mm. Um virtual individuals. Like if you have if you have an NPC in a video game that like has a, a very realistic portrayal to your, your violence, uh, and your you know, running around, gun-toting, whatever the behavior is in the video game. Sure, yeah. Like at what point does it become kind of creepy? That's uh, essentially
1: I think the argument that Westworld tries to make in yeah, its first yeah. season, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Like insert Westworld as, as potential commentary yeah. Yeah. on that question. One uh, one more thought on this. Uh, I was reading uh, an article in Ian magazine, and this is uh, Sexbot Slaves. Sociologist uh, Lee Reich uh, has this excellent quote. But even if sexbots are not currently conscious, they do have the external markings of personhood, and we are programming them to be person-like. Indeed, we are programming them to be like a specific type of person, the type of woman who can be owned by a heterosexual man.
1: So now we've heard many of the arguments against sex bots and we've set up kind of where we're at with the technology. Let's take a quick break and when we get back we're gonna come back in on this and we're gonna talk about the argument for sex bots and how they could be beneficial to humanity.
0: All right, we're back. So uh in this next little bit, we're going to talk about the victimization reduction argument for sex bots. And uh, just a quick warning, we're going to briefly discuss pedophilia here. So if you really don't want to hear that, you know, skip ahead a little bit on your device. We're we're going to discuss it with decorum here. But it does play a role in this discussion. So. A point of uh, contention, as, as referenced already, is the argument that a robotic sex bot would absorb the violence and abuse that a human would otherwise suffer. And this would apply to both – well, really to, to all individuals, male, female, um, or a child. Or I've also seen the argument uh, uh, for animals as well. Right. So if you could have a robot stand in and absorb that abuse, like better a robot than an actual human. right? Like that – that's a that, problematic that is argument. An, yeah, but that is an argument that some people make. Right. I I don't think there are many people out there who would who would uh, argue with the statement that if a robot could suffer something rather than a human, that would be preferable. Well, depending on whether or not it has consciousness. Yeah. Well, then, then we get into that whole can of worms. But... There's a, as I say, it's, it's a problematic argument, but it's it's one worth discussing, uh, especially as it relates to people with pedophilic impulses. Um, there's a great deal of work that has gone into this topic over the years, and uh, we could easily do a whole episode on it, though it would be a rather downer of an episode. There's no known medical or psychiatric cure for pedophilia, and our methods of dealing with such individuals is often crude. But we do have men such as uh, Shin Takaji who's a, a, he a Japanese man profiled in the uh, in the Atlantic uh, in 2016 and this is a guy who struggles with an attraction to children as well as the knowledge the resolve that his attraction is just incompatible with reality and that's the the ultimate tragedy here right is that these are individuals who are born with this this drive this inclination and it's completely incompatible with our world. It is, it's, it's completely reprehensible. And some of these individuals realize this and are, and do not act on their impulses. So what, um, what this man, uh, what Takagi is, uh, has been working on is creating sex dolls that look like children, shipping them out around the world to individuals who, claim to need them, because what are the other options? There's cognitive behavioral therapy, there's chemical castration, but a 2007 meta-analysis from the Mayo Clinic found that no current method can actually, quote, alter the pedophile's basic sexual orientation toward children.
1: Right. So you end up with this argument, which is sort of like, if you have these child sex bots, Mm -hmm. is that a safer outlet for pedophiles uh, or... The, the sort of flip side to that is, is that going to aggravate their sense of frustration so that they act
0: out on real human beings even more? Right. And there's no evidence to show that his approach works, but it is difficult to gauge because uh, I think, as I already mentioned, there's a lot of research, but a lot of the research is based on actual offenders, not people who manage to, to stay off impulses. Uh, but what research there is tends to imply that such a doll might have re- a reinforcing effect. Now, of course, there are several different categories for pedophiles, but uh, University of Toronto forensic psychologist and sexologist Michael Seto speculates that there might be two broader distinctions among pedophiles. So for one group, uh, a doll or robot might serve to keep them from seeking out child pornography or become abusers themselves. For others, though, it just might aggravate their impulses. Yeah, so this...
1: This is very problematic. Uh, and I think too, like, I, I'm imagining you, the listener, are probably struggling with one concept here, uh, that, that we're sort it's sort of like the unspoken thing in the room, right? Which is mm-hmm. the idea that pedophilia is inherent. It's, na- it's natural and it's part of this person's,
0: you know, biology mm-hmm. and not something that's learned. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Either way, though, the, the research shows that it is definitely diff- extremely difficult or if not, if not impossible to cure in the individual. So so what do you do? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're, we're left without the, the technology or the medical expertise to, quote unquote, fix someone like this. Then does that mean that a robotic uh, doll would have a place?
1: And I have to say, you know, like as sort of creepy as it is to read about Takagi at least seems to be taking his impulses and doing something productive with them. Right. At Mm -hmm. least he's trying to like turn it around, uh, into something that has a benefit i guess to society or at least reduces danger to to society um but when you like you read about in this atlantic article his workshop he's got this mountain workshop that's up in the woods and all of his employees have to be former military specifically because of the kind of chemicals that he's using mm-hmm. in order to create like um like more realistic skin mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we should talk about this ceremony. So apparently because they're Japanese uh, there's this special ceremony that's sort of along the lines of Shinto animism that's performed for the dolls specifically at a shrine when their owners don't want them anymore because they think of them as having, I don't know soul isn't the right word, but, but that there is some kind of essence to them that you mm-hmm. don't just take this thing and throw it in the
0: trash. Yeah, he says in the article quote, it's a common belief in Japan that dolls are mirrors. Uh the dolls show their owners true self. So again, a problematic scenario to look at, but one that uh that is core to both the arguments for and against. Uh, sex robots, Right. And then this leads us right back to
1: Dr. Kate Devlin, who was, you know, the person who originally argued against
0: the case against sex robots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this brings us into what I think is the most the most fascinating area. Uh, that we 're going to talk about uh, here today, and that 's the therapy angle, so she argues that sex bots would essentially be sex toys that benefit from machine learning and biofeedback and she also points out that despite all of our sci fi visions of humanoid sex robots there 's no reason they these things would need to have a human form or a human face right again we 've already as we 've already said, a great many sex toys do not even look like parts of a human, much less a human being um, she She points out specifically that uh, uh, for fem- females there is a, I think it's called the rabbit yeah is a is a vibrator device that does not look like a part of the male or female anatomy and then uh, the fleshlight which we already mentioned uh, there are apparently some models that do look like uh replicas of, of human of human anatomy but others that don't others that have mm-hmm. more fantastic or abstract appearances so you could put these together and you could easily imagine a sexual robot that Either does not look like a gendered human or even like maybe looks like a spider or something. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like it could, it could sort of be anything.
0: Yeah. It could like, be like a Roomba. It, yeah. A Roomba might be something.
1: I, I don't know why I was going this way, but like somebody might p- particularly want like a,
0: a, a kind of whale, like a, yeah. like a smallish whale. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is we can say, Oh, that's repellent. Who would want to have, you know, sexual contact with an inhuman machine? But again, we are already doing it. <laughs> the market research uh, shows that, that individuals have been using non-human sexual machines for oh, some time now. Mm-hmm. So it's not out of keeping with human
1: behavior. And so there's a lot of applications here that Devlin's saying, right? Like, we could use this to treat a lot of different uh, ailments that humans are suffering from.
0: That's right. So there's the treatment of sex offenders, which we've already touched on. Uh, Couples therapy, which I think is interesting, you made a point mm-hmm. earlier about so many of the current devices are made for uh for a couple to uh to use together yeah uh, sometimes across vast distances yep yep then uh, this is a big one the restoration of sexual confidence following trauma and or injury uh, now this is a topic we touched on some in our um, our episode that we did where we interviewed Mary Roach about uh about the the surgical repair of genitalia specifically soldiers who've suffered uh you know, grievous wounds to that uh,
1: area of the yeah, anatomy. That, that's an episode we should definitely put in the links on the landing page because it's related.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and and indeed, I believe Walter Reed Hospital came up in that episode as well. Mm-hmm. They have a sexual health and intimacy service that focuses on education and therapy. Uh, and there's a great uh, Atlantic article about this from last year that focuses on the broader topic. But the, but the author points out that the department in question features, quote, de facto sex classes that include sex toys aimed at stimulating different parts of the body. So the main ha- aim here is uh, individuals who have experienced genital or spinal cord injury uh, They may have lost their ability to have an orgasm themselves, and they have to adapt to their new bodies and a new approach to physical intimacy. With uh, with their spouse or with uh you know with with new uh, relationships in their lives.
1: Now in this case we're talking specifically about veterans who are maybe lost a limb or something like that or or but there's there's some cases where sex therapy like this is needed for other people as well.
0: Yeah, and indeed also um, memory impairing injuries uh, and just basic trauma that stems from combat can disrupt an individual's sex life. So sure. So you need not even have a physical injury yeah. for this kind of therapy to be necessary. And so the question is could a sex robot aid in this kind of uh, of work as well. Now Delvin also uh, hits on uh, general sex therapy and, and says that you know VR therapy is already uh, a big deal. And she also mentions that v r therapy is already already a thing and is only going to become more of a of a big deal in the future and uh And then there's this idea of the the use of of sex bots to potentially uh um, allow individuals to explore gender or sexual orientation or just sexuality um as a whole and in this, the role of the sex bot would very closely mimic the role of a sex surrogate so this is a thing that already exists uh and, and uh, you can look this up uh this is not prostitution Surrogates are members of the International Professional Surrogates Association, and they only work with people who have been referred to them by psychotherapists. According to a, an interview in the 2003 Salon article, I Was a Middle-Aged Virgin, uh, Los Angeles surrogate partner Dr. Avina Blanchard, uh, she uh, works generally works with older virgins. They account for 50% of her practice. And uh, these patients are, are, you know, are men who have encountered limiting obstacles to experiencing sex. They didn't develop the interpersonal skills necessary, et cetera. And the, the the exact reasons, uh you know, vary quite a bit, encompassing everything from extreme shyness to history of sexual abuse. They're often plagued by feelings of shame and that they need someone to help them break through it all. All right. So I've got a personal story here that I can
1: apl- absolutely see applications for okay. this. Okay. Uh, I had... A nightmarish temp job in my early 20s. Okay. Uh, I I don't think I've told you about this before. Um, so I was temping in my early 20s. This was when I was living in Boston, and one of my assignments was to work for a week for a psychotherapist, whose job it was to, uh, basically review and interview sex offenders and decide whether or not they should be released from prison into the general population, like mm. whether or not their sentence was, was up okay. and they had been quote unquote reformed. And the job that was assigned to me was to, this was a while ago. I literally listened to cassette tapes that they would record of their sessions and transcribe everything. Mm. And so I did this for a week straight in the middle of a very cold winter in Boston. It was a long commute. It was in Quincy and, uh, wow. Like it was just like getting like this toxic sludge dumped into your head, you know? Mm. And I remember that last day, like knowing it was over, just standing there at the end of the day, waiting for the shuttle to pick me up, to take me to the train, just crying. Oh. Uh, and so I think about, you know, not, not just virgins or, or maybe pedophiles or even veterans who need some help with the, the, you know, these potentially debilitating sexual, I don't know, uh, issues that they're having, but, but all of this stuff is, it's very real in my head based on that one week experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like it definitely, uh, it definitely, I mean, it had an impact on your, your your psyche to to have to absorb all of that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah, I can see that the definite applications uh uh here as well. Now, surrogates, uh, as we've been talking about, they're they're intimacy coaches and therapists, and they don't always have sex with clients. So there is much about in, imparting relationship skills, providing human compassion, and and also just creating an open, honest line of communication, breaking through. In, in the case of uh, especially in the case of uh, the virgins, breaking through the the shame. Yeah, and I can see where this could this could Definitely be an area for sex robots in the future, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, l- sexual abuse
1: or any kind of sort of sexual dysfunction, as we see it, especially in sort of psychoanalytical terms, right, are it seems to be something that sort of breeds a vicious cycle. Uh You know, like the people who are hurt or tend to then go on to hurt others. Mm-hmm. So, in this instance, like I'm, I'm seeing like the surrogates you wouldn't want to be in that situation but the sex robots again as long as they're not artificially conscious they could serve a role to sort of put a halt to that vicious circle
0: yeah yeah and and also just the idea you think about this idea that there there are people out there who have trouble developing relationships that they don't have the social tools, perhaps, or there's some sort of trauma holding them back yeah. from having the kind of interpersonal relationships that can lead to sexual contact with another individual. Like, should they should they just live out their lives without sexual contact? Are they aren't? Do they have like on some level? Do they have a right to have sex with a, a, a robotic uh, device or machine or robotic humanoid? If such right. a thing can be made available in a, within an ethical framework that works. Well, and let's remember,
1: let's go back to what we said earlier, which is that sexuality and sex are part of the human condition mm-hmm. and our brains are absolutely affected by them. So, why not have this technology that would allow those people to experience the human condition like the rest of us?
0: Yeah, and this this all forces me to sort of try to imagine this future sex bot like on one hand imagine like a purely therapeutic one yeah so you have to go to a therapist a human therapist to be you know prescribed your sex bot Uh uh-huh and they they come to you and it's not about just simply fulfilling some physical need or even an emotional need but allowing a transformation like getting you to a point to where you are comfortable with your own sexuality comfort comfortable with just human sexuality in general that you are more capable of, uh, of healthy human sexual relationships. Mm, mm-hmm. And on the other hand, like a purely hedonistic level, uh, a mechanical room, but we're a spider right. that just when, when called, you know, crawls out of a box in your closet and does what needs to be done. And so you can sleep at night. Right. That's very transmetropolitan.
1: I'm imagining <laughs> spider Jerusalem has something like that in his yeah. closet. Yeah. Yeah. But not too far from, you know, other topics that we've talked about in the past, especially when you, you, uh, add in sort of like a bioengineering into the mix.
0: Yeah. All right. So there you have it. Sex bots. Uh, Again, something we just see time and time again in sci-fi that's really become part of our pop culture. But I don't think most of us take time to really Break it down and yeah. think about the components, think about the pros and the cons. Certainly some of these I had thought about before, but other aspects, especially the whole therapeutic aspect, I'd never really given any consideration.
1: I think with the surge of Westworld, uh, last year that mm-hmm. like this kind of thing has become maybe water cooler talk, yeah. but not to the extent of like the research that we did here, really looking at like the pros and cons and how it's beneficial or how the theory, the philosophical approach to it of how it could potentially sort of show the worst of humanity as well. That's the part I think that like Westworld's really honing in on. Yeah. But I don't know, like has Westworld, I can't really remember, and I don't think this is spoilers, but like was there an instance of somebody who visited the park who needed that kind of therapeutic uh, help and going to one of the brothels? I feel like it might have
0: come up just, uh, you know, in the margins, but I don't remember it being a major character Because because ultimately like how how uh, dramatic is that right yeah right yeah you want you wanted to explore the the cases of of abuse or the cases of love cuz that those are the two big trends we see yeah. either someone either is abusive to a feminine sexual robot or they fall in love with it uh there's not a lot of in in Obviously, there's a lot more space in the human condition for sexual uh, conduct to take place. Right, there's so a it's, broader spectrum, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it seems like it should be present as well in our consideration of sex bodies. Maybe that's something season
1: two will get into. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not <laughs> too so. sure.
0: All right. Well, everyone listening to this episode is a human being. So I'm sure everyone has thoughts on uh, the current technology Uh where we're headed with it, as well as all the various uh, fantastic and and maybe even more hard-boiled sci-fi visions of what sex spots might consist of.
1: Yeah, and we hope we didn't, you know, disturb you too much with getting into some graphic territory here. But this seemed like a topic that was worth really diving into and
0: relevant to uh, not only popular
1: culture, but modern technology.
0: All right, now as we close out here, we've uh, we we like to highlight various uh, nonprofits and uh and, and helpful organizations. Uh given the some of the subject matter we've talked about here, we just wanted to mention Rain. that's R A I N N. They're the Rape, Abuse and Incest National Network. You can find them online, but you can also call them 24/7 on your phone at 1-800-656-HOPE or uh 1-800-656-4673. And also we're still celebrating tripod month here at how stuff
1: works. If you're not familiar with what that is, Podcasts around the world are sharing one another's feeds, uh, and the way that they're doing that is on social media, letting everybody know what they're listening to using the hashtag tripod, that's T-R-Y pod. Uh, and the one that I'd like to include here is I just got back from South by Southwest, and I saw a couple of live performances of the podcast Recode Decode, uh, and they did some pretty cool stuff that I think if you're a fan of stuff to blow your mind, you might be interested in.
0: Yeah, and hey, you get on social media, everyone out there. Eric, and use the, the hashtag tripod with a Y to just list some of your favorite podcasts. I'm not saying list us. You can if you want, but also list the, the other things that you listen to, the other shows that get you through the day. We've had a couple people who've,
1: who've done some really nice uh, hashtag tripods for us. Uh, specifically, uh, I've seen some really cool stuff on Instagram where they take pictures of how oh, yeah? they listen to us.
0: Oh, yeah, cool. That's a, that's a clever idea. All right. In the meantime, head on over to stufftoblowyourmind.com. That's where you'll find all the podcast episodes, the landing page for this episode. Episode, you will find uh, links out to our various social media accounts, such as what Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and who knows what else, who knows what the future will bring.
1: Yeah, and if you just want to write us the old fashioned way, we are at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.